Hello all and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today we're reviewing a Bond film uh, in honor of Sean Connery who passed away just um, a few days or a week or two ago. And we thought this would be a fitting time to review one of his great films from Russia with Love. All right, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Yes. James Bond willingly falls into an assassination plot involving a naive Russian beauty in order to retrieve a Soviet encryption device that was stolen by Spectre. All right. So in true sweet tradition... Let's start off with our one-sentence summaries for From Russia With Love. All right, mine is, chess is more than a game, it's a way of life and death. Ooh, very well done. I love it. Thanks. <laughs> I was uh, floored at that chess scene. It was, it was so epic and so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I, I absolutely loved it. I was like, oh, yes. Let's yes. give chess the respect that it deserves. <laughs> this is wonderful. Yeah, that room too was stunning. Oh my yeah. gosh. All right. Um, my summary was, this was the Bond equivalent of a farm-to-table meal made up of simple, fresh, pure ingredients. Very nice. <laughs> All right. So what were your initial thoughts of From Russia With Love? My initial thoughts were uh, really wondering if I had come into this movie with some unrealistic expectations because I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought that I was going to. Um, when when we found out that Sean Connery had died, we were like, okay, where can we watch a Bond film and which one should we watch? And, and From Russia With Love is regarded as many people's favorites or at least in the top tier of Bond films. So I was like, yes, this is going to be amazing. And um, it was okay. I didn't, I didn't love it as much as I expected to. Um, so I, I wonder if uh, I had hyped it up too much in my mind. And so uh, the movie didn't end up being as fun or exciting for me as I was expecting it to be. Mm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to unpack that more. Um, I'm excited that we see differently on this film. Um, Yay! Because I, perhaps after watching the most recent Pierce Brosnan uh, Bond oh, film, gosh. that the name is escaping me, but I just remember the intense... Also, I think she was a Russian lady with the very strong thighs. Uh, oh, that gosh, one was that movie so... was the worst. Oh, she was the worst. Um that film was so such a disappointment and just did not meet my expectations at all that perhaps I went into this film with lower expectations. Um, I was also aware of the fact that it came out in 1963 and just like ready for whatever it was going to be. And um, I think just prepared for per perhaps less of that adrenaline rush that we typically get in like a modern Bond film. I thought that um, this this movie included all of the classic Bond tropes and had some more interesting things to do with the storytelling and the interweaving of these three plot lines. Um, I think it is just probably different in flavor than the more modern ones, especially the Daniel Craig, super gritty, intense Bond movies, where I feel like they, they have a little bit more to say than this one but I feel like as far as landing the Bond um, franchise and hitting all of the high marks it it did its job and uh, there were some interesting set pieces that I was honestly just impressed were able to be accomplished yeah yeah for sure I think um, my favorite part of the whole film was that that opening scene in that garden um 
I think that was another reason why maybe I was a little bit disappointed with the rest of the film is because that mm. first scene was just so good. So I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> yes. And nothing quite lived up to that first scene. Um, but the fact that this film largely opened with just silence um, and we learn so much about this this new assassin character. We learn about how um, treacherous and dangerous the organization that he's a part of is. Um, we are we are concerned for Bond's safety. Like all within just a couple mm. of minutes of silent action was absolutely brilliant, and I I loved that moment. This is so true. That opening scene was so strong and I can see how that, you know, started off with such a bang and with such a wow factor. And you're right, the rest of the film doesn't quite live up to that. I'm sensing a theme where Mad Max, Fury Road did the same thing. First scene was <laughs> epic and then it just dragged the rest of the so film. so good. And then also the other um, Bond film, Spectre, where it started out with the Day of the Dead scene. Again, oh. such a strong opening scene, yeah. but the rest of it's like, all right, we're, we're trudging through it. Yeah, that first scene was electrifying. The music created so much tension. The like shock factor when he rips off the, the Bond mask of the guy that he just killed, it was all so good. Um, and then I, I feel like we enter in this like first stage of the film where it's a lot of exposition and setup and just a lot of like Bond kind of sludging through the details and and us as the viewer learning the context and who the people are. It was a little slow. I, th I feel like it picks up about like halfway through when Grant's character becomes more of an active role versus being passive. I feel like that first first section where Grant's watching and we're just kind of seeing Bond hang out with Karim Gray, Karim Bay, uh, it drags a little bit. So I could see that for sure. And like, okay, why did we need to have like a girl fight in the middle of the movie? Like, what did that <laughs> accomplish? Like, I was just that whole part where he's just like touring through what was it, Istanbul? I was mm -hmm. like, why are we even here? Like, what is the point? Why are you taking me on this journey that I don't care about? Like, yes. let's get into the action. Let's do something here. But um, you're right, it does pick up after that. Um, and you know how I feel about a lot of exposition. Yes. I just don't tell me I need you to show me the things we're smart, we can keep up. Mm -hmm. Just give the people what they want. But it did improve uh, after all that talking that they did. Yeah, especially because I feel like a lot of the the scenes with Karen Bay, is that his name? Karen Bay, Karen Gray, the head of uh, MI6 branch in Istanbul, um, who gets murdered later. There's not a lot of stakes to that whole sequence. Um, even the moment where he is killed is doesn't feel as significant as perhaps was maybe intended. Um, like it doesn't have a lot of larger implications other than us as viewers just learning about who the players are in this crime organization and how they're related to the Russians and all that. Like it's, it's informational versus plot driving and we lose a little bit of momentum. Yeah, and, and with him... I was just, again, I am the person, I will always ask the wrong questions because he was employing like 7,000 children that are all his and all sons. And so I was just like, okay, let's just talk about your family tree. Do you just have like a bunch of women? So these are all different mothers of these kids. Do you just like adopt children and like people that you like sons or like men that you see potential in you just like kind of bring them in and call them sons like what does this mean like tell me a little bit more about this so I was just every time he mentioned a son I went off in the wrong direction just wondering about his family tree so I got off in the weeds during that part of, of it <laughs> but I just I, I think largely this film had a a 
certain less misogynistic view of women than I was expecting, mm-hmm. um, except for that Karen Bay character. Like he, I feel like every time he was on the screen, he was like objectifying some woman or he was about to, he had just like finished having sex with a woman or was about to go have sex with her. Like it was just, there wasn't a lot there for me to like about him. And I just, I was so frustrated that we spent so much time with this man that brought so little to the movie. Yeah, we spend a lot of time, like a solid 30, 40 minutes but with Bond and Karim and, and, and this man. Um, I, I wonder if some of some of why they included those scenes is pure spectacle like getting to see the set pieces and, you know, the shootout at the gypsy camp. Like, I wonder if some of that was, hey, we're in an exotic country and let's just like frolic around and explore. And it played for spectacle more than actually driving the plot. I mean, I'm thinking about this in the context of this is 1963. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was yeah. beautiful. You mm-hmm. know, it was it was kind of cool to go on a tour with them to see how all of these intricacies about the city, but at the end of the day, it's still like, all right, what are we doing here? Let's get to the point. Enough sightseeing. Yep. It really starts to pick up um, when they board the train and when Grant begins to deceive Bond, I feel like that's when the plot begins to pick up again and we are now invested. Um, I feel like I didn't have a lot of questions or curiosities up until that point. And the minute that Grant begins to intertwine into this plot and we see things kind of begin to collide, there, be- there starts to form all of these questions in my head. Like, how is, this- how is he going to deceive him? How is Bond going to figure it out? Like, will they kill each other? Will there be another person that um, gets intertwined into this that we aren't even aware of? Will Club somehow show like there's it begins to to ignite all of these questions which then drives engagement and drives my attention so the train scenes I thought were were pretty strong in that center and what I liked about the train sequence is that the 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 claustrophobia of a train car just makes it all the more exciting you know how are you going to fight in this tiny little space with like two grown men who are fairly large, like six something men fighting in this tiny little enclosure. It, it just naturally makes it more exciting and more tense because you have nowhere to go. Like you're not going to be able to, I mean, you could jump the train, but you might die. So it just, those confines make everything more exciting. Um, and I was really impressed that they were able to film those scenes in the way that they did. Um, because it's such a huge limitation, I, I thought that those scenes might look a little bit more boring or static, but they were able to get some like really interesting camera angles. The, the choreography of the fights were really interesting. Um, so yeah, I think that those were, those were the more interesting scenes, especially considering the the boring part that we had just gotten out of. Yeah, and I, th- I found what was also really interesting comparing these fight scenes with the, the more modern ones is that there's a lot less showy flashiness around breaking things and crashing into things. Like the entire height of the, the the fight between Grant and Bond happens within their tiny room in the train car. Um, whereas I feel like in other Bond films, I'm thinking of one with uh, Pierce Brosnan, they're like crashing into tables and glasses shattering. Like it's a lot more junk flying around and collateral. And it was perhaps more intense to see just these two men figure out how to overpower each other in such a small space versus, you know, all of the showy set pieces that they could also have used. Probably there's budget reasons for it as well, but I think it added a lot of interesting tension that was refreshing to see because most modern films that we see today are very 
showy, especially in action films. Lots of set pieces, collateral effects, you know, um, and they had to rely on other th- other things like the blue lighting in the train car, which added this element of danger and tension. Um, so it was cool to see. It was refreshing to see something like that and a different type of action. And I think that that's a big characteristic of this film is that it's a lot more subdued than you would get from many of the other Bond films. It's less of an action movie and it's more of like a spy movie. Um, and and even like the 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 gadgets that Bond has, um, the the suitcase that Q gives him is like pretty pedestrian given where um, some of the Bond films went. Even just a couple of years later, um, this was very subtle and down to earth. And it was like, yeah, like a person could actually do these things as opposed to some of the stuff that we get now, which I'm like, no human could do that. Um, so it's much more grounded in reality. Yes, that's so true. And I feel like it adds a um, an appeal to it. It feels more like, wow, this could happen in real life. Someone could have a briefcase like that. Um, and it's less fantastical, which I think inherently in a, in a ironic way makes it more exciting. Yeah. So just, it's a good lesson. Let's just not open the briefcases of strangers just in case. That is the life lesson from, from Russia with love. (laughs) Very true. Good, good takeaways and lessons learned from all kinds of Bond films. Watch out for people's thighs. Yeah. And don't open briefcases. Jesus. Very dangerous things. Oh man. Goldeneye was so bad. It was so bad. This was leaps and bounds better than Golden Eye. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. What I loved about that scene, um, now that we're on the topic with the briefcase, is the way that Bond almost uses the the natural greed of human beings against him. He kind of manipulates him into to giving him these like valuable treasures in exchange for um a cigarette but he's he's stalling and he's he's buying time and i i love the way that he kind of uses a human weakness against his enemy i just thought that was super clever yeah because this movie was very it was more focused on who bond is himself instead of like all of his like gadgets and like flashy stuff. So especially because this was so early in the Bond franchise, I think it was probably a really important one to establish this character and to show like, not only is he like an action star, but like he's also a really good spy and he can read people and he can use um, the, how he reads people against them. And I mean, the fact that this whole movie was just this super elaborate plot set up by this like super villain and Bond was able to outsmart them along the way just shows he's not just some like rebellious um, action hero like buff guy like no he's really intelligent and he can outsmart people so I think that that was probably a really important thing especially so early on in the franchise. That's something that I found really fascinating about um, Sean Connery and and specifically this Bond film is it focused so much more on Bond's competence and his intelligence and his sharpness. Uh, Whereas I feel like later Bonds, which I know there's a lot there's, there's a several others. The ones that I'm most familiar with that I've seen the most films on are Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, which complete, completely opposite sides of the spectrum. And you can kind of see how the later Bonds focus on different parts of this Bond mythical character. Um, Brosnan with his playfulness and kind of this suave confidence that Bond has and Daniel Craig with that like grittiness. And both of those traits were a lot more toned down in Sean Connery's portrayal of Bond than I was expecting. Um, I thought that there would be 
more of those colors that were being shown, but actually he's a lot more muted and his intelligence and his competence are far more on display than I was expecting. So that was something that was pretty interesting to me and to see the way that this character has actually evolved and and changed over time with different actors and different portrayals. Yeah, it, it definitely makes me wonder, you know, what's going to come next because this newest Bond, whenever it comes out next year, um, is Daniel Craig's last one. So it's like, okay, when you get a new actor, it's almost like a whole new revamp of the character in the franchise. So it makes me really curious, you know, what could be coming next since we've had so many different varies, variations of this Bond character throughout the years. That's so true. And I wonder if they, th- they consider or think about um, how large those leaps are. Like going from Brosnan to Cra- Daniel Craig is, is quite a a vastly different characterization versus something that's more incremental. So I, I wonder, are we going to get a really playful bond and like almost Harvey Specter-esque meets James Bond type of like witty, playful, quick-witted, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it would be very, very different. I guess only time will tell. Only time will tell. <laughs> Gosh, we need something playful right now. I would not be opposed. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what, you know, some of the other Connery Bond films are like. So, like, this week I also watched um, You Only Live Twice, which came out just a few years after From Russia With Love. And I was shocked at how fun of a movie it was. Like, Connery was, obviously, he's always, like, charismatic. Um... And it also shows just how intelligent he is. But the film itself was like playful and like the gadgets that they came up with were just ridiculous and whimsical and creative. And so it was just it was fun, especially like in this dark moment. And especially as I've grown so used to like the brooding bond that is Daniel Craig to go back and to see like these, these more playful spy movies. Um, They were really refreshing. So I highly recommend watching the, the Connery version of bond. If you want some playful spying, it's great. Mm -hmm. We need some playful spying. We do. (laughs) It's also interesting to think about the way that they, may or may not be strategic about layering like was it intentional to focus more on establishing a brand for them and leaning into the things that make bond who he is and then layering on these other tones as they create more and more films like i i wonder if there's any level of strategic like long-term thinking on when to lean into which type of bond i don't know who could say It probably is, you know, because like now that Bond is an established character for, what, 70 years, maybe more. I can't do math right now. Like we've Bond is a household name. And so like now, yeah, you can have creativity and you can explore these different Mm -hmm. facets of the character and, and take the franchise to new places. Whereas, you know, back in the 60s, this was still new. So they really had to establish who he was in this brand um, before, you know, everybody else could take it in some weird creative direction. Yeah, that's so true. And it was amazing to me watching this film how much the Bond tropes and that Bond brand has remained intact over the past 60 years even though there's so much that has changed in like the, the types of stories it's telling and the type of characterizations, there's some core components that are, that are just stable and always there. You have Q, you have the cool gadgets and all of the gadgets are used somehow at various points in the film. You have the set pieces of like, there's always, there's often a boat scene and a train scene and something with a helicopter, something in the air. We're always somewhere exotic. Like these these um, reliable 
brand components that we can count on. It's, it's fascinating that it's been able to just withstand six decades of time and the Bond films that we see today still incorporate all of those same components in a lot of the same ways and with a lot of the same like flair that the second one did. Yep, if something works, it's you just keep doing it. You know, why reinvent the wheel if uh if if the brand of Bond is effective. Mhm. Yep, stick to what you know. Yep. What what makes money? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Something that I was thinking about while watching this film, specifically when Spectre was introduced, is how I I don't think I, when watching the Daniel Craig most recent Spectre film, like I didn't have the context of Spectre, the crime organization, and it was it was cool to see the one of the first few introductions of that, um, and. I don't know. It was just some fun connections that were being made in my head and the way that they are using some of the same story components again and again and revisiting them over, again, 60 years. And it's kind of brilliant, the whole like rollout of Spectre, you know, and, and seeing Blofeld, you finally see him, you know, a few films later, but there, there's this buildup over multiple movies of there is this supervillain who is masterminding all of these things and he's leading this criminal organization called Spectre and Bond is working to find this organization to dismantle it. He's slowly picking off operatives you know, that are working there. So I think just from a storytelling perspective, it was absolutely brilliant how they sustained it over so many different movies to finally build up to the climax of revealing who Blofeld is and then all of the subsequent movies after that. Yeah, it keeps us as viewers invested and coming back for more. I, I noticed in the end credits of this movie that <laughs> they did what Marvel is so good at doing, which is giving us a little little taste into like oh but there's more like James Bond will be back it reminded me of when I think it's at the end of Marvel films where they they say like Thanos will return or something like that right yeah yeah that was the um what was it after Infinity War Infinity it showed War. Thanos and we everybody in the theater was like devastated Ooh. like oh, what will happen to the heroes if Thanos yeah. will return but yeah Marvel would always do that which is brilliant yeah and this film does the same thing. Like, James Bond will be back in the next one called Goldfinger. Like, good good marketing there. Good job, guys. Yep. You can't get rid of him that easily. <laughs> All right. What else stood out to you in from Russia with Love? So what... What fascinated me and what I wanted more of was um, Commander Kleb. I wanted to know more about her. I, I, I think if, if we could have gotten rid of some of like the Istanbul scenes and had more of her, uh, I think that I might have enjoyed this film some more because that's just a, such a fascinating character to me because she was a, a commander in the Russian spy service and then she betrays her country, but they keep it secret. And so she is still able to move as though she is part of the Russian spy service, even though she is serving Spectre. So she's clearly a competent spy. She is intelligent. She was a commander. So like, holy crap, she must have done some stuff. So I just, I wanted to know so much more about her um to, and i wish that they would have maybe done a little bit more to establish her as you know the the bigger villain as opposed to focusing so much on grant even though he was interesting and he did a, a good job and those fighting scenes were great um i really really wanted to know more about kleb and i wanted more action with her in the film instead 
That's so true. And she had such a great presence on screen. There was like a a, a great intensity about her. Um, that was that was like, what, what is the underlying behind that? Like, where did this come from? And what are your motives here? I feel like the way that she she dies in the ending scene felt a little bit cheap um, for all that her character was to your point around like we get so much with with Grant and really Grant is just someone that was deployed out by her um so there could have been more of this like escalating villains that Bond needs to fight off and it culminates in in her at least in this movie similar to the way that when you play a video game like you defeat off like the first line uh first tier of villains and you kind of level up and go to the next tier. Um, she kind of has that little standoff with him in the hotel room and gets killed pretty quickly. I feel like she deserved a little more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I did wonder though, because Tatiana was the one that took her out. And I, I wondered if that was a strategic decision because they didn't want Bond to kill a woman, um, even though she was the bad guy. And I just, I thought that it was, it was curious that this girl who mm, contributed next to nothing throughout the entire film was suddenly the one to take Cleb out. Um, I, I wondered if that was like originally part of the, the novel or if that was something that they, they changed for the film in order to, um, I don't know, make, I, I wonder how it would have been perceived by audiences if Bond had killed her, uh, as opposed to Tatiana have killing her. That's true. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like it wouldn't, it wouldn't reflect well on Bond in the same way that we see him overpower Grant. It's like, yeah, like you go buddy. Um, feels a little off being doing that for him fighting an older woman um especially in a like arm-to-arm combat the way that they are in the hotel room versus if she was like in some big machine or whatnot and it happened to blow up or something like that it's a little bit more indirect than him stabbing her shooting her with a gun like three feet in front of her I feel like it would be a little bit more harsh to watch probably not as sympathetic to the audiences for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially not in, you know, what did this come out in 1964? Um, it, it probably wouldn't yeah. have, <laughs> have worked very well for sure. Mm -mm. And also I feel like it, it, having Tatiana kill her builds on the storyline that they set up earlier where Tatiana was like a little bit under the control of Cleb. So it's like her little, her little bit of revenge for that, something like that. Yeah, yeah, taking her her agency back from <laughs> the woman who tried to steal it from her or blackmailed mm -hmm. her into being a spy. Like, yeah. Okay, that was the other thing that I was thinking about, in about halfway through this film, is what does Tatiana think that she's doing like she's following orders which okay i get that but you're helping this british spy steal the thing that is incredibly valuable to your country like whoa what what where's her mind at is she thinking about any of these questions or she's just like nope i'm following my orders i'm just gonna do it i'm gonna fall in love with this man it'll be fine <laughs> i'm serving my country like i was wondering like None of this makes sense from her perspective. Yeah, but I think she probably also didn't ask questions. You know, yeah. like it was it was probably, you know, drilled into her mind like you don't ask questions, you just follow orders from your commanding officer and yeah. All right. I guess especially if you're being you know, forced to do it. You're being like either fall in love with this dude or I'm going to kill you. Like, okay, I guess, I guess I'll go along with this. 
Yeah. I, that makes sense. Like she's she's under pressure, but I like is there never a moment of doubt? Like, okay, I'm helping this the what is my enemy steal the thing that's very valuable to my country. Uh, okay. Like all right, let's fight, let's do it. Let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's one of the things I wanted more from Tatiana than we got from her. You know, I I I think that it this this film could have been a setup for her to have a lot more agency for her to actually do some things instead of just kind of being like a, a pretty yeah. face to blindly follow <laughs> along. Um, so I just, she, she did more than I thought that she would do, but I still think that there, there could have been so much more for this character than what we got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But I suppose this is the sixties and mm -hmm. It's yep. on brand. Bond. <laughs> yeah. The Bond franchise. No agency. No agency. None for you. Ugh, it's unfortunate. But it's okay. We've come very far in progress. A few decades. Yeah. So we're we're making progress. As long as our the industry is self aware. That's all that matters. Yeah. It's our hope for improvement. One of the things that I wanted to give a shout out to in this film was the cinematography. I was delightfully surprised at how wonderful some of the shots were and how much it added to the story and to the um, atmosphere and the intensity of some scenes. I think the opening scene obviously does a, a great job of building tension, especially with the music, but also with some of the shots back and forth between what you think is Sean Connery and Grant. And there's some other ones that come to mind, like the train car door opening and the gun pointed at, I think it's Sean Connery or it's uh, Tatiana. And like just the element of surprise that they were able to do solely with the shots that they chose was great. Um, the other one that I, I loved was when Bond is on the train station platform and he you see him walking and then from behind him in the same shot you see Grant coming in to frame um within the window of the train and it was just it was great it was those moments of like those gasps that were were so fun and I was impressed I, I was not expecting that from this film yeah yeah those moments with um with Grant following uh bond were so fun it was almost like like a where's waldo in real time of like okay bond is doing a thing now where is grant following behind him where are the other people who are also following behind them um but you're right they they did so much with how they composed these different shots and and edited these sequences together that that built tension um without them having to say anything. You know, Grant was such a, a looming presence in the back of the frame that you knew, all right, something is coming, um, but you just didn't know what or when it was going to happen. So it was a brilliant use of cinematography there. And I was surprised at how minimal the action sequences, like the high intense action sequences were throughout this entire film. We only get a few. Um, there's the shootout at the gypsy camp. There's the one in the train car scene. There's the boat um, chase. And then there's the little, the little tiff with the club in that final moment. But I feel like in a lot of the more um, recent Bond films, it's almost like this constant... We're going from scene to scene to scene with big action sequences and a little bit of like context setting in between or travel in between to different locations and we're like thrown into another big action sequence. And so I feel like the cinematography but also just like the pacing and the nature of this film was a lot more focused on building tension and it exploding in these action sequences that were far less frequent than... I was expecting. Um, I, I was surprised at how little big action and violence there, there actually was in this film. 
Yeah, it, it really made me think of um, like when when you watch um, like spy movies that are truly like European spy movies, they're more like this. You know, they're they're a lot more subtle. There's not like a lot of guns and fighting and stuff, but it's people doing the work of like piecing things together and, and uncovering clues. And I think that that is so fun. And um, we don't see that a lot in James Bond movies. I think that it, the franchise really like leaned heavily into um, making him like an action star instead of truly making it like a, like a spy movie. You know, it makes me think of like the Mission Impossible franchise kind of went through the same thing. Like the first movie is kind of boring because uh, it's really just like spy craft. And then from there, they really amped up the action. So I feel like James Bond definitely uh, followed that same trajectory. Yeah, that's so true, actually. I almost sometimes forget that he is a spy. And in my head, he's like this larger than life action hero. Um, and we get so much more of the spy moments where, you know, he arrives at his hotel room and is checking the telephone and behind the, the paintings because, um, he knows he might be, be bugged and whatnot and recorded like those scenes. We don't really get as much at all in the modern James Bond series. So I think your point around this being way more of a spy film than an action hero film is spot on. Yeah, you don't need to check for bugs if, you know, you're just going to punch everything that moves. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. The, the like, modern Bond equivalent of that would be, like, someone's hiding in the bathroom and they come yeah. out and there's this big, like, <laughs> fight scene and then he's, you know, washes his shirt in the... Yeah. <laughs> in the sink before he moves on to this next one. Yeah, I was I was for sure waiting for that. I was waiting for somebody to be like lurking yeah. in the corner of his room or like there's that one scene where he like comes in and the doors of his balcony are open. And at first I was like, bro, why are you going to do that? Why yeah. leave your balcony doors open? That's not safe. But then I was so expecting somebody to just like pop out and just like attack him. Mm -hmm. That did not happen. Yeah. Agreed. And I kept waiting for it too. Like every time where we, we are back in the train car uh, with, with Tatiana and there's three knocks on the door, I'm like, at any moment, it could be Grant. Yes. And we're going to see him like overpower her and like tie her up and it's going to be yeah. big and int intense and it never happens. But I, I was waiting for that and expecting that to happen. Especially because Bond's signal was, I'm going to knock three times. Yeah. Who, like, that's the standard operating procedure when knocking. Could yes. you have picked, like, a more a unique? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's so true. That's, yeah, that, that feels like an, an oversight. Yeah, I was detail. just, especially because, like, in so many other areas, he was so intentional. Like, the whole, like, when he, whenever he met somebody and like the whole cigarette thing and like that was so elaborate. And then when it comes to this chick, he's just like, nah, three knocks. That's fine. Like, it just yeah. felt like a disconnect to me. That's true. I agree. Probably a little detail oversight. Um, can we talk about the opening credit scene? Of course. I, again, I, did, I guess my expectations were low. I didn't know what I was expecting, but I found it so artistic without needing to be very showy. Again, maybe it's just like my sentiment about this entire film is they were able to do so much with such small, simple, subdued uh, details. I mean, really, all they were doing was projecting letters and, and words onto maybe a wall and um having different patterns fade in and out and the editing was really great and they had you know some female curves and different moments and whatnot but it accomplished so much uh atmospheric like setting of the table before we we came to the rest of the film and it was just a, a stark contrast to me 
compared to a lot of the like highly edited big effect um opening credit scenes that we see in like Skyfall and some of the other ones where it's a lot of editing and a lot of patterns and like visual stimulation on the screen. This was relatively simple and yet it was so artistic and creative. I, I loved it. That's interesting to me. I did not love it. Um, but I generally don't like any of the James Bond credit scenes. Like it just, <laughs> I don't, I don't get them. I just, I don't need that in my life. So I don't need like up close and personal with a woman be belly dancing. Like it's just, it's not on my to-do list. Um, yeah. I was just like, oh, this is your choice. I'm, I'm ready for this to be over. Um, <laughs> but I, I was also, it, it did make me intrigued about what was going to come next because obviously all of the the credit scenes always tie into some theme throughout the film. So when we finally in the middle got that long belly dance sequence, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, it all makes sense now. I see the tie-in. But yeah, I just, uh, I was I was ready for that, that scene to be over. It was very just long belly dance thing. scene. Very long. Yep. I'm sure it's an impressive ability. I will never be able to do anything like that. But I just, I didn't need many minutes of a woman belly dancing. Yeah, well, both that scene and the two girls fighting felt yeah. like, is this the, the, the quota that we need to hit of male gaze moments? Yeah. Like, all right, we checked our boxes, get it over with. Now people could focus on the rest of the story. Like, it just felt so much longer than necessary that 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 had to have been intentional for some reason mm -hmm. yep and I think especially because like both of those scenes were in the middle of their sightseeing through Istanbul part <laughs> that yeah. I was just I was I had reached my like okay I'm over this I need you to get to the action <laughs> so I think it was just it was poor timing and it was just too long after so much time of not pushing the plot forward. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and, and the scenes of the two girls fighting contributed nothing to the plot. The only argument Except I can make... James... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the only argument that I guess I could make is that he asked for them not to be uh, fighting anymore, which I, I don't know, points to his like softer side. Mm -hmm. Yep, it it allowed him to save them without having to fire his gun. So, what a nice guy he is. What a sweet, complex man. There's this little, little soft human behind the hard exterior. Except never heard that trope before. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 so new and creative. Oh, man. Okay, maybe it was in 1964. True. You never know. Yeah, maybe that was the beginning of the the bad boy. Although something tells me not. Yeah, it for <laughs> sure was not, but... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, that whole moment was just... Yeah, it was very, very problematic. Mm -hmm. Not only... Because, like... Chick fights are usually intense. Like, let's just be honest. Girls can be vicious. But they were fighting over a guy. And then, like, the the leader is like, you know what? I'm not going to let either of these women yeah. have my son. I'm instead going to throw them to this random stranger. It was just, it was very problematic. It, yeah. It was just ugh, weird. We could do without that. Mm -hmm. yep. something else that I was wanting more of or that I guess I have seen more in other Bond films that I felt like this film was lacking was some of the great witty one-liners I felt like we didn't have as many of those in this film what were your thoughts? yeah there really wasn't you're right there wasn't a lot of that in here and I that's probably just indicative of the writing as a whole. Like it wasn't, 
there wasn't a lot of interesting dialogue yeah. throughout. Um, yeah. Agreed. I, I feel like it was, you know, the, how the action and, and, and how he moved was so mundane, like that was refreshing, but the, the dialogue, because it wasn't as exciting, almost came across as bland. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. And I feel like in other Bond films, we get some of that banter when Bond is with M and it's like, you know, in the beginning set up part of the film where he's getting his assignment and they have this banter and whatnot. Um, or it's typically like the very last little moment of an action scene where he says something, I don't know, obnoxious, but charismatic and wonderful. And we, we just didn't get a lot of that. Um, the dialogue in general, to your point, is pretty straightforward, <laughs> pretty standard, pretty vanilla. And I had I had a little bit of hope that it it would be better than it was with his interactions more toward the beginning of the film, um, like even even with him and Money Penny, you know, it was very much over the top but at least there was a little banter there there was a little something exciting there but Mm -hmm. I don't feel like anything else came close to that level of um maybe connection or rapport between two characters that we got between those two Mm. yeah that's true I mean I feel like a lot of the characters were almost um I guess I don't know the word that I'm I'm trying to use, but they were they were characters to me versus people, um, and so a lot mm, of my focus yeah. was more on the plot and the action and whatnot. Like we didn't get the depth behind Tatiana or the depth behind Grant or Cleb or Bond. You know, it's they were a little bit more thin, but I, I perhaps didn't really notice it or have a problem with it because it was they were playing these characters and I was in it for the plot and the action versus the character depth. But yeah, now that I think about it a little bit more, a lot of the characters were pretty straightforward. Not a lot of depth. Yeah. And that, that probably contributes to why I didn't like the film as much is because they just, they weren't interesting characters to try and follow along. You know, Bond was of Mm. course interesting but it's because I've seen him in other films in which he's very exciting. So I Mm. think I was, I was willing to follow him, but I really didn't care about any of the other characters. So even my investment in the plot was thin because there was no, you know, there was no emotional weight or there was no connection between me and what was happening on the screen. Mm hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think about the the other Bond films that uh, we see a lot of depth from Bond and, you know, are ones that a lot of, of, of people love. Um, and the, the more later uh, Bonds, like especially in Daniel Craig's Bond, is that we see a lot of his pain and his hurt and we see that manifest in different ways and... Um, there's like these different sides to him that are revealed to us throughout the course of the film. And they're typically a product of the environments that he finds himself in, whether it's, you know, being tied up or being tortured or having to choose between the woman or his mission. And, and there's these larger themes that we get to see him make choices on. And those choices then have stakes in the rest of the plot. So I could see that. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's hard to be invested in the plot when the characters are not able to be that anchor for you to hold on to. And I do wonder if, you know, the, the time period in which these films are made, you know, influences all of these things. You know, I feel like today we can have those male characters who are more than just, you know, the good tough soldier, but you know, in, in the sixties, there might have been less uh, reception to that type of a character. So they just had to focus on, you know, establishing he is competent. He is good at his job. He is a good guy, you know, and leave the rest for somebody's imagination. Mm -hmm. And 
the 1963 audience is probably there to see the action. Like that is probably the the draw of this of this exciting film because action isn't as overdone as it is now. Whereas now we've seen so much action that the, the characters and the plot and the story are able to be um, more complex and more nuanced than than we had previously. I feel like also we are um, in a time where our culture is fighting against this like toxic masculinity and um, these uh, damaging messages that men have to be strong and competent all the time. And um, we are seeing in general, I think, more nuanced characters, but also especially more nuanced villains. Um, So I feel like the Bond villains are also a little bit more fascinating too than the ones that we got in this film as well. Yeah, that's what I was also thinking about. Like, um, for me, like, in regards to, like, comic book heroes, like, Superman is boring because he's good all the time. Like, I had the same issue with Captain America. He was just boring. And I, I think that's almost what we see in this bond in this movie like sure like he'll color outside of the lines you know that he's a little rebellious he's a womanizer but like all in all he's a good guy and he is out to do this for queen and country and he is going to defeat the bad guys but like now if you were to have that bond today he would be boring you know we need that that grit we need our our good guys to have a little bad in them and our bad guys to have some degree of good in them just to make things more interesting and the fight more exciting yeah that's so true that's so true we celebrate that a lot more i think in our current times and who knows that might evolve and change those trends um may evolve in the coming years could say i hope not though <laughs> people are not <laughs> as easy as coloring with one color so mm-hmm. yep but we'll see we'll see what happens yeah all right anything else that you wanted to give a shout out to mention about from russia with love one of the questions that came up uh when we first meet cleb and Blofeld and the the chess guy um, was what is the point in using numbers within your organization if you will also say the person's name? I, I didn't <laughs> understand because the chess guy was number five, but they never called him number five. They just kept calling his name. Like, <laughs> what's the point? I didn't understand. Maybe it's a reminder to them that they are not number one. Like you are. Yeah. I, you are not. I, I was wondering that. Like, <laughs> does that like show you like positional hierarchy of, mm-hmm. you know, I am number five, so I am below number three and number one. So I must respect you more. Like, but then <laughs> I, I feel like that only goes so far because you clearly know, like, oh, shit, I'm number five. So if I'm in this conversation, I got to mind my P's and Q's and honor the people or else they're going to kill me. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't need a numbering system for reinforcing, respecting the people above me if <laughs> I was in a, in a, I don't know, consortium of supervillains. It just, I didn't understand. You mean we shouldn't just number people? <laughs> <laughs> Generally, that seems wild. I'm not... I'm not supportive of the numbering system names are important but it's like if you go through the whole thing of assigning people a number you think that that would be for like anonymity so like okay our offices might be bugged we're only going to refer to them as numbers or like something I don't know (laughs) but if you use the number and the name in the same sentence then what's the point it may maybe it's like a a symbol of the fact that you are indoctrinated into this like secret society of criminal organization, like like you are. It's like official now. 
I don't yeah. know. You're, or some, some evil guy somewhere was like, you know what would be really cool? If we had numbers. <laughs> and I was number one. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how it went. <laughs> he was just sitting there stroking his cat going, I'm number one. Let's just number the rest of you off accordingly. <laughs> that poor cat. That poor cat. He was having a hard time in this movie no. for sure. I was like, I don't think he wants to be on your lap anymore, sir. No. He's not enjoying itself. Nope. And it got that tiny little fish to eat. Like, that's not sufficient. Was that a snack <laughs> or a meal? It had to have been a snack. Had well, to have been. So. All right. Well, anything else? Nope. That's all I got. What about you? Any final shout outs? Um, I don't think so. I just, I, I feel the same feeling that I did after watching the John Wick movies, which is that I love me some good old real action movie. It's just so refreshing. And perhaps that is why I am so much more into this film than I was expecting and far more into it than GoldenEye. It just was so um, authentic to watch a film that was actually done and the action sequences were actually done. I I think I, I'm always surprised at how entertaining it is to watch that and then it makes uh, – me watch the big special effect action films from just a different lens like we are we are it is perhaps more spectacular visually but it loses a bit of that charm so i i loved i loved getting to watch a good old action movie yeah it's it's nice to see you know good uh fight choreography um, without all of the, all of the cutting that's, om it almost makes it like dizzying in mm -hmm. some of the newer action films. Like there's some action sequences that I just have to shut my eyes while watching cause I start to get dizzy. But like with something like this, you can clearly see the people fighting and yeah, it makes it a lot more interesting for sure. Yeah. You're actually on the edge of your seat. Like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. he's got his watch string around his neck <laughs> like what's gonna happen how is bond gonna get out of this versus like the dizzying cuts and then what you're left with is like the adrenaline rush but it's a mm. little bit empty um because you can't there's no tension behind it you're just like okay like there's a lot happening and then you see the aftermath which is okay yeah. one guy's on the floor and he's motionless and the other one okay like we have the clear winner but the process of it is not as much of a thrill. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up the watch string because <laughs> I feel like this was a, a film to go, all right, Q, you need to step up your game, yes. buddy, because that watch string was legit. So <laughs> do better in the next movie. I agree. I was like, Q, you need to do some market research to see what else is out there. <laughs> Because clearly people are coming up with some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Standard issue might be okay for some agents, but it doesn't fly <laughs> with James Bond. Please respond accordingly. Also, I was thinking, like, the coincidence of that briefcase happened happen to be within arm's reach so that he could grab the knife. Like, if it was six inches farther from him, he would either have been dead or would have been, like, taken a lot more work for him to, like, inch closer to it. So... Coincidentally, he was he, he was saved. How boring would that scene have been, though? It, like he is being strangled by the watch string, and he's like, like taking minutes to try and like grab the briefcase. That probably wouldn't have been as no. exciting as the action sequence. So they just decided to help him out, bring the prop closer. He could just end it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very smart. They're pacing. They were like. Mm. Six inches closer. Nope. Two more inches closer. Okay. Perfect. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, this was our review of From Russia with Love. It is available to stream on Hulu. 
um, if you're subscribed there, we, we recommend if you are just in the mood for a good, fun little ride um, from Russia with love is the thing for you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our Strategic Whimsy Experiment and we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your day. Subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review, letting us know what your thoughts are about today's episode. Connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Lost in London. We hope you guys have an amazing week and we will see you next week.